I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, were Israelites. To whom pertaineth the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. He asked it of every class and challenged every student with it. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate-level class on the Minor Prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day, word for word, from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary. the Unchanging Word program, we are dealing with the question, Is God Righteous in His Dealings with the Nation of Israel? We are continuing a study in Romans chapters 9 through 11, beginning in chapter 9, verse 1 today. And in the first three verses, the Apostle Paul reveals his heart. And Dr. Mitchell explores the heart of a few Old Testament prophets who carried this same desire for the salvation of God's people. In the following verses, there are nine things listed that belong to the nation of Israel. And Dr. Mitchell elaborates on the truth that from this nation came the Christ, the Messiah of God. He came to his own, but his own received him not. Christ came to Israel, but Israel did not come to him. This Christ being God-blessed forever. We'll turn with us in your Bible to Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Here is Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. We're studying together these days, these three chapters of Romans 9, 10, and 11. We're dealing with the question, is God righteous in his dealings with Israel? In chapter 9, we have where God elected or chose Israel in pure sovereign grace to be his witnesses to the nations and to be the nation through whom his son should come. In chapter 10, they're under, under the discipline of God. And God today is dealing with individuals, whether Jew or Gentile. In chapter 11, he's going to restore Israel in the fulfillment of prophecy. God is still righteous in everything he does. And we were discussing in our last lesson this great question of Paul in these first three verses of chapter 9, 
how he caused God to be his witness that he had continual sorrow and unceasing pain in his heart, he could verily wish himself accursed from Christ that his brethren might be saved. These who are Israelites. And Paul here is really talking about the fact that he still, he still loves the Jewish people. Uh, they were declaring that Paul was out of the will of God by going to the Gentiles. Now, they had some good ground for that, for the simple reason that the prophets had declared, and God had revealed to them that the Gentile nations were going to know God through Israel. One cannot read the 43rd chapter of Isaiah without realizing this. God chose them to be a separate people unto himself for the purpose of revealing to the Gentile nations the oneness of God. The nations were in idolatry, in moral corruption. They're under the wrath of God. And how are they going to know God? So he revealed himself to Israel. And they, in turn, were to turn around and reveal the living God to the Gentiles. And, of course, they didn't do that. In fact, they, be, they came just like the Gentiles, and God scattered them on the face of the earth. He gathered a remnant unto Ezra, Nehemiah, and, Je and Zerubbabel, as you read in the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, and the prophet Je uh, Zechariah. And you find that uh, the remnant came back, and the Savior was born. Then in 70 AD, they were having spurned the Savior. He scattered the nation uh, over all the face of the earth. And for the most part, they're still scattered. God is in governmental dealing with them, going to reveal to them their need of him. When they get to the end of themselves, they'll turn to God. Then in chapter 11, he's, he, in his own purpose and plan, he's going to bring them back, put them back in their land, and use them to be a testimony to the nations of the earth. It would be very interesting for me and possibly for you if we were to spend the time just dealing with this one thing. But I better stick to the book of Romans uh, in our study. Now, in chapter 9, these first three verses, I want to again read them because in some way I would like to, by the Spirit of God, I trust, to bring into your heart, Christian friend, a ministry that has been greatly, sadly neglected in these last days. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Now, yes, Paul's great desire. He wants these Jews to know that he still has them upon his heart, even though he is ministering to the Gentiles. And the thing that greatly distresses the Apostle Paul is that these people were religious, proud, shall I say, of being Jews, separate from the Gentiles, but ignorant of God and his righteousness. And it just breaks his heart. And as I said here a while ago, Paul stands before God with his heart laid bare. This is serious business when a man calls upon God to bear witness to what he is saying is the truth. But will you please notice that his agony of soul in verses 2 and 3. And I, as I read it from the revised, what a heart condition this man has. What compassion. 
And I have to ask myself the question, and I trust you will ask yourself the question, what do we know about this sort of a thing? How much have we suffered before God in behalf of others? You remember in Hebrews 11:6, the Lord is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Um, how much have we suffered for God? I have continual sorrow, said Paul. I have unceasing pain in my heart. I would even willing to be accursed from Christ. Now you see, well, Paul knows he'll never be accursed from Christ. Yes, but he was perfectly willing to be accursed from Christ that these Jewish people might be saved. Here is one suffering in the presence of God because of men who are lost. He yearns for them to be saved. How much do you and I grieve about men and women who are lost? Do you know, this is what makes men great preachers, not some technique they've learned. Paul didn't grieve over their bondage to Rome or that their city and their temple was going to be destroyed, but he did come before God with a broken heart because they were lost, having rejected the Savior. And may I say, here we have a revelation of the compassion of Christ revealed in a man. Here we have the heart of God manifest in Paul. You know, the Lord Jesus, because of his love for you and me, he became an accursed thing. As Galatians chapter 3 says, Cursed is everyone who hangeth on a cross. Jesus became an accursed thing just because he loved you and me. And Paul was willing to go to any length for their salvation. Will we go out for our children to get on in the world and society? We, we go all out for them. We sacrifice, we put them through school. We do everything we can for our children that there might be a success in the world. I wonder if we parents will do the same thing for their spiritual needs, for their spiritual growth. Were you ever in the presence of a heartbroken mother agonizing in the presence of God on her knees, pleading with God for the salvation of her daughter who had gone astray? My friend, I'm telling you, it'll pull the heart out of you. This is what I'm talking about. Here is a heart experiencing the very thing that caused Jesus Christ to go to the cross. You know, sometimes we sing a chorus. I rarely, I rarely ever sing it. In fact, I don't sing it. Where we sing, give me Calvary love. And I oftentimes wonder, be honest with you, I wonder what we know about Calvary love. Here's a sample of it right here. Paul is willing to become an accursed thing. He's in continual sorrow, in unceasing pain, brokenhearted before God, suffering in his very, the very depths of his soul that his brethren might be saved. You know, 
You find parallel passages like this in the Old Testament. Do you remember Moses could say in Exodus chapters 32 and 33, do you know when Moses pleaded before God in behalf of the Jews for Israel who were worshiping the molten calf, and God says, let me alone and I'll blot them out. I'll make of you a great nation. And, and Moses said, you can't do that. Remember your name and remember your word. If you blot Israel out, you can't keep your promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what will the Egyptians say? That's the kind of a God Israel has. He took them out into the wilderness to kill them. No honor there for God. And then as you go to the end of the chapter, he pleads with God for Israel. And you remember what he said? Forgive them their sin. And then he adds this, if not, if not. And there's a little dash there. As if Moses was going to make a promise to God, then he changed it and he said, if not, then blot me out of the book which thou hast written. He made himself one with the people. Now you find this where, where Moses, I think, three times pleaded with God for Israel. Do you remember in the 106th Psalm, verse 23, if, if Moses, the anointed of God, hadn't stood in the gap, God would have blotted the nation out. Take Isaiah chapter 59, 15 and 16, the last appeal of God to Israel through Isaiah. What do you say? Justice is fallen in the streets. The righteous man is a prey. And God wondered. And if I remember correctly, it's the only place in the whole Bible where God wondered. What do you think he wondered about? That there was no prophet? No. There was no leader? No. No teacher? No. What made him wonder? He wondered there was no man to intercede. There was no man to plead for his people before God. You remember a hundred years afterwards, Jeremiah stood before God, the weeping prophet. Here is the brokenhearted man before God. And he's pleading for Israel. And God says, listen, Jeremiah, I'm not going to listen to you. Three times God said to Jeremiah, don't you pray for those people. I won't listen to you. Did that stop Jeremiah? No, sir. Even though God said to Jeremiah, even though Moses or Samuel prayed, I won't even listen to them. In chapter 5, he could say, if you can find one righteous man in the city, I'll save the city for the one man's sake. That shows you how far down in corruption they had gone, in their idolatry, in their rejection of God. Did that deter Jeremiah? No, listen to him. And I'm quoting the end of chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 9 of that amazing prophecy. When he said, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're not saved. Is there no bomb in Gilead? Doesn't anybody care about my people? I'm in mourning. Is there no doctor, is there no physician to heal the hurt of the daughter of my people? Oh, that my head were waters that my eyes were a fount of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. I would like to run away from the whole business. 
They're a bunch of liars. Then he goes on to say, they're not concerning Israel. They're not valiant for the truth. And they proceed from evil to evil. And they know not me, saith the Lord. As Isaiah said in Isaiah 28, you have made a league with death, with hell you're in agreement. And when the overflowing scourge shall pass over, it shall not come nigh thee, because we have made lives our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. And yet for this kind of a people, Jeremiah was brokenhearted. Oh, that my head were waters, that my eyes were a fount of tears. You take the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 22. If you take the end of that chapter, the priests, the priests have become corrupt. The princes are trafficking in souls. The people of God are in corruption. And God says, I looked for a man to make up the hedge and plead for my land. I found none. I want to say this very, very solemnly. I wonder if God, if God were looking for men today who would get down before him in intercession and travailing for lost men and women, I wonder how many he would find. Would you be one of the ones? I looked for a man to intercede. I found none. And God wondered there was no intercessor. Paul says, I have continual sorrow. I have unceasing pain in my heart. I could verily wish myself accursed from Christ for my brethren's sake, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Which leads me, of course, to what Israel had in verses 4 and 5 when he said, To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Here is the peculiar place in the purpose of God that he has given to Israel. Again, I repeat it, why did God choose them? Why did he give them the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God, and the promises, and through whom the Savior should come. Why did he do this? That they might be faithful to him and become a living testimony to the world. And Paul is not going to rob them of anything that's theirs. Christ came through Israel. Christ belonged to Israel. But they did not belong to Christ. A sad picture, isn't it? With all the blessings, with all the promises, year after year, century after century, God put up with them. He poured out blessing when they had a king who'd walked in the way of the Lord and he blessed the whole nation because of the king. When the king was bad, the nation followed him in their badness, in their sinfulness, and the judgment of God eventually came upon them. And yet Paul says, they're still beloved of God. And my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I wonder, my friend, if I could just say this to you today. 
You see, well, Paul was praying for God's people. He was praying for people who were lost. Otherwise, why did he say, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved? Well, he could say here in chapter 9, I wish myself a curse from Christ. I'm willing even to become an accursed thing, even willing to be crucified if need be, if by so doing, my people Israel will come to know the Savior. My friend, this is the heart and the foundation of intercession. What do you and I know about this compassion, this tenderness for lost men and women? It's been a rare thing, and I confess this, it's a rare thing to come in the presence of somebody who's really, really burdened for lost men and women, where they forget you and everybody else in a, an, an agony of heart, really suffering, where death would become a happy release from the great burden of lost souls upon the heart of a man or a woman who catches the glimpse of the fact that God's heart, God still loves men, he still loves women. He wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. How glad we are there is a mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now may I say, may I give a word of warning in this same connection? This thing doesn't come on you spasmodically. It doesn't come on one overnight or for a few minutes. This is a thing that grows upon your heart. I'm sure that the Apostle Paul had spent many hours before God for Israel. And the more he pled with God and the more they rejected the gospel, the greater his burden was that they might know the Savior. Oh, that God might put upon your heart and my heart a real burden of compassion, of tenderness, of yearning over lost men and women that they might be saved. And let me say this too. I'll guarantee to you that if you spend time pleading with God for men, it'll not be long before you'll be pleading with men for God. And is not this uh, Christian service in a nutshell? We plead with God for men. This is intercession. We plead with men for God. This is witnessing. And you know, you and I can be filled with both be witnesses, and to be intercessors. And even though these were still the people to whom God had given the promises in the covenants, yet they had to manifest faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. And so will you. If you've never accepted the Savior, I would plead with your heart to take the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And my friend, do it today. And believer in Christ, spend some time with the Lord today in behalf of your family, your friends, your neighbors, for those who are out of Christ. And the Lord bless you. He was there all the time. He was there.
Now that I've found the answer, my life is just starting to rhyme. Sharing each new day with him is a cup of fresh life. Oh, what I missed, he's been waiting. Right there all the time He was there all the time He was there all the time Waiting patiently in love Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.